Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, and I'm glad you're here. This week's topic is not an easy one, and um, it's also an important one. I get lots of questions um, and lots of inquiries about how to support young people, usually teens, um, if they're engaging in self-harm. I think using the phrasing self-harm can be confusing. Sometimes we use it to refer to thoughts about death or dying or suicide. Today, when we're talking about the concept of self-harm, I'm going to be talking more about um, behaviors that that injure your own body that kind of self-harm. And we'll talk about the connection between self-harm and suicidality as well as part of today. And today's just going to be an overview. This is, uh, again, a difficult and intense subject for a lot of folks. This also isn't meant to replace um, getting concrete, direct therapeutic support for your child if this is something that's happening in your home or with a loved one that you uh, know. So, Um, yeah, one of the big takeaways today that you'll hear is if this is something that your child is, is doing, if they're hurting their own bodies, um, 
it's it's um, a good idea to reach out and get help. There are lots of skills that can be built and issues that can be processed and things that can be dealt with. So the good news is there are things that we do that um, help slow the frequency and intensity of these behaviors and help everybody understand them more. Um, but it's not an easy thing. It's often alarming for parents. So this is a, an invitation not to look the other way, not to just hope it goes away, but to understand that it's, that it, that it's a signal that there needs to be, need to be some things explored. Um, so, so yes, what is, what is this concept? What, what do we know about it? Um, self-harm and, and the hurting of one's own body. It comes in various forms. Kids do various things. They scrape themselves or scratch themselves with pens or pencils or sharp objects, um, cut themselves sometimes burning occurs. Um, I've occasionally worked with kids who just strike themselves, like hit themselves pretty aggressively around the face and head or around the legs. Um, some children intentionally leave marks or do the hurting of their bodies in places where they won't be often seen on the back of the shoulders, um, upper thigh area, and and some young people are are fine with the evidence being scars on the wrist and wearing short sleeves and, and kinds of things. So there, as with many things in the world of child psychology, there there's no one formula for what this behavior looks like. But scratching, cutting, burning, hitting, uh, hitting themselves, sometimes leaving marks in very secretive places and other times leaving marks in very public places. Um, often are a part of this kind of behavior. When in the old days, when I first started learning about this stuff or when I was, um, I had a lot of beliefs and I hear people have this belief too, that there's an assumption that if a child is cutting themselves or hurting their bodies, that it is what we used to say, parasuicidal, that it is telling us it's red flags, warning flags that um, this child is actually contemplating suicide and maybe taking steps in that direction by cutting themselves and cutting their arms. Um, I, as I've said, I would not ignore this behavior and you don't want to assume it has nothing to do with suicidal thoughts. But actually, when before there was some thinking that it might be related to depression and suicide, there's more thinking these days that it is related to anxiety, that it's more often related to um, underlying agitation, stress, um, and that it provides relief from anxiety rather than being a, a call for attention about depression. So if it was linked to suicide, people sometimes assumed it was a sign of depression and steps towards suicidality. Again, certainly I don't mean to, to say that you shouldn't worry about a, a young person in terms of suicide if they're cutting, but, but we can't just make the assumption that it is, um, a step towards suicide because of significant depression. What we're understanding more about self-harm is, and I've certainly seen this in my practice over the years, um, how, you know, people say, what does it have to do with stress or what, how, how is that related to anxiety? And 
what we see is that lots of um, teens I know describe a mounting um, stress, a building of agitation, of frustration. Um, there are things they're not you know, that are stacking up in their lives with school, with friends, with family. Um, and there's a period of time in which they're just sort of taking all of that in. They can feel tension building. And then at a certain point, and for every kid, it's different. So this is what we need to understand. At a certain point, the, the move to hurt their bodies can serve as a, as, as just a, like, and you know an acting out or a or a or a, an inviting of pain so that there's tension release when you hurt your body when you are injured there are endorphins that are released um and they race right they race to your the body and the source your brain and the source of injury and they they are calming endorphins help mask pain and endorphins are our feel-good chemicals. So very often teens will describe to me that they don't know why at first it seems, you know, confusing to them, but they feel better after they cut or burn or hurt themselves. And that for a lot of teens, this becomes a pattern that they're used to mounting tension, frustration, building stress, not sure how to cope with it, and then the release. So um they'll talk about that dynamic there is a release of tension and uh um yeah endorphins and a, and a calm that moves in after mounting agitation secondly i also hear a lot of teens describing this sense that um they it's it's proof they feel something. They may feel numb in the overwhelm of their lives, in the day to day, they're, they're just completely overwhelmed. They're not sure what to do. They feel kind of checked out. They're sort of watching themselves and in, in their lives and bodies from afar. And when they hurt themselves, if there are marks on their bodies, if they draw blood through the self-harm, for instance, it's like proof that they're still alive. It's also proof of the pain in a weird way. It's what I hear kids say is a lot. I hear a teen say, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm uncomfortable. I'm anxious, but nobody on the outside can tell. They don't know how badly I'm hurting. If I have these marks, it's a sign that my outside is as hurting as much as my inside is. And there's just something about that, 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 um, that I need to do. That's just something about I need to do. Lots of teens will describe it that I've worked with will describe it as almost a compulsion compulsion. So meaning the mounting tension, they're, they're wanting relief. They can't get relief in other ways. And then when they, they feel almost like a pressure, an impulse or compulsion to, they must do it or their anxiety will get bigger. Um, and so it, compulsions are habits that reduce anxiety and, and self-harm can take on that element for, for a lot of kids. So the first dynamic I hear people talk about is that they do have a calm that moves in. And we think science can explain a fair amount about that, especially on the heels of mounting tension. The second dynamic is there's a numbness or a sense of disconnect from their feelings. And the cutting is a reminder that they're alive. 
related to that, but a little bit separate, is this idea that they're in pain and the world around them doesn't understand and the world is expecting them to function or do other things and because nobody can really tell how much they're hurting. But if they're cutting then or, or harming themselves in some way, then there's the outside evidence of the inside pain. So these are three really common dynamics that I hear young people talk about. Um, the questions come up a lot. Parents want to know, uh, and certainly I've been asked over the years, is this contagious? Like, I swear there was a phase of folks doing it online or gosh, when my daughter was in middle school, there was a whole group of kids that were doing this. I've talked to middle school counselors that say it kind of seems to go in waves. The, the, the data, when you when I looked at it most recently, says, I mean, maybe, right? Like it's a ballpark, sure, do kids get curious about something? Do they notice attention that's given to, to kids that are hurting? And when you're an adolescent, sometimes kids have a really big need for attention that they're willing to get in, in a variety of ways. Um, but I, it, the thinking is that it's a small percentage of, if you were roughly gonna say like 10% increase in cases if it's happening around you. Um, so I wouldn't, it's one of those things, the reason why you know parents ask is again, I think is this just a phase if my kid is gonna be influenced by social media or the people around them, can I ride it out and, and, and um, chalk it up to that? Like, do I need to worry more deeply than, oh, this is a behavior that they heard about and that they've seen a fair amount about? And I guess I would say, you know, I still see some patterns in kids who choose this as the thing to be influenced into. I guess that's how I would say if there is some influenceability of kids, often it's an indicator that there are other things going on uh, underneath that it it that there's things to pay attention to and not just assume this is a, a fad and a social connectedness that, that kids are trying on that, that you can scold a kid about or shame a kid about or, um, you know, just, just hope that, that uh, it will go away. In my experience, there's several things that we can do to help, which is really good news. Um, oftentimes when I'm talking to young people about it, there, there is a fair amount of shame or embarrassment. They're surprised when people can talk about it directly. Again, I think this is the time to seek uh, a counselor who's skilled in this area. A lot of times people step sideways around the issue, don't know how to talk about it, make vague references to, to hurting themselves, whereas these interventions really are, are most effective if you can just talk about it as a coping behavior that is maladaptive. Like you're letting us know that you're trying to manage big feelings, but but hurting your body, you know, is is a coping strategy. It is. And there are other things that we can do to help you find relief that don't come with the scarring and the long term explanations and and the devaluing of your body. Like we all bodies deserve care and our bodies are pretty amazing. A quick note, if you are parenting or if you're a clinician for um, gender diverse, non-binary and trans kids, the relationship to their body is pretty complicated. It's not that we see a ton more self-harm in the adolescent trans community, but when we're talking about how your body is precious and you need to honor your body, that gets to be a little complicated for kids 
um, who are non-binary or trans or who are in deep complexity with their bodies. Um, and so I just use talk a lot about how all bodies deserve care, that I understand your relationship with your body is complicated and we would like to find some other coping strategies so that you can let people know how much you're hurting, can understand how to feel better without physically harming uh, your body. So side note, but, but related. Um, similarly, you know, eating disorders, whenever a kid has a complicated relationship with their body, we can't. Sometimes parents will come in and say, your body's perfect just the way it is. And we have to be gentle. It's like, for some kids, their body isn't perfect just the way it is. We hope that they would get to that place. For some kids, we don't have the gender stuff going on. But really, um, what you're communicating is all bodies deserve care. There are ways to let us know you're hurting. And there are things we can do to help you feel better that don't involve hurting hurting your body and hurting yourself. Sometimes it's roosters in the background. Other times it's just dogs. <laughs> dogs playing in the background. It's a joyful sound. So when when people come to me and they want to understand this better, one of the key things that I talk to kids about is, all right, this is a, you're communicating to us that you're experiencing distress. You're uncomfortable about something. How can we explore and learn more? Um, one other quick thought is that sometimes we see in the data and the statistics that kids who were um, sexually abused or harmed are, are slightly more likely to explore self-harm and cutting as coping strategies. The thinking, this is a much broader topic. I'll just say, you know, quickly, you cannot assume that if a child is cutting, there has been abuse. But we do know that sometimes when kids, uh, men, adults are learning to distance themselves from molestation or abuse, they, they separate themselves from their body. They distance themselves from their bodies. They check out of their bodies. And, and for some kids with that history, the, the cutting or the hurting the body reconnects them with their body, has them feel in their body again. So I will say again, if you're listening to this podcast with concerns, if you know for a fact that this is part of your child's history, it's another reason to seek some educated support right now. Um, it can get better. It will get better, um, hopefully. And there are folks who can really support you and your family. So don't assume that there's been abuse if your child is cutting, but recognize that it can be a coping strategy um, that has to do again with that complicated relationship between a young person and their body if they've experienced um, sexual abuse or sexual molestation. So, so what we do about this is a quick overview. We um, help kids begin to identify when they're having intense feelings. <laughs> that sounds kind of elementary, but you know, like, hey, what's going on? When do you feel sad? mad, guilty, um, jealous, right? The triggers for kids to, the trigger feelings for kids to cope with the discomfort this way can be different. How do they know in their bodies, in their hearts, when they're sad, when they're mad, when they're jealous, when they're disappointed, um, when they're scared, super stressed out? Like, how do they know that? What are the cues? Because the sooner we can help kids identify when they're having a challenging feeling, the, the easier it is to address it before um, things 
get so intense that they're using more dramatic coping strategies. Um, so how do they know when things are, are stressing them out and building? And um, when can they identify the cues? So that's in their body and their mind and heart. And then we look at patterns in the outer world. When, when do you notice this is happening? Where, like, is it times of day, times of year? Is it days of the week? Is it um, every six weeks or so there seems to be an episode, uh, you know, there, that tension is mounted and then there's a release cycle that's needed. What are the patterns? And what are the triggers? Is it after a school dance? Is it after a low grade? Is it like, what can we look for any patterns in what happened just before the self-harming behaviors or patterns in the sort of flow and frequency of those behaviors? And ultimately what we wanna do is get better and better at recognizing when those stressors are coming, having a young person recognize when they're starting to feel scared, sad, jealous, disappointed, um, rejected, those hard, uncomfortable feelings, and then offer young people uh, um, other ways to cope. General anxiety reducers are also a good thing on an ongoing basis. So anxiety reducers include, are they getting exercise? 20 minutes of cardio exercise or more is known to be um, associated with reducing anxiety. Are they getting sunlight? Are they eating colorful vegetables? And now parents of teenagers are laughing. Um, but yes, like, are they taking probiotics? Are they um, able to sleep at night? You know, sometimes magnesium can help with that. So we look at general lifestyle slash um, diet sleep um, recommendations to help reduce anxiety and exercise recommendations to bring the overall temperature of agitation down in addition to the talk therapy and, and getting more specific help for kids, of course. And then we want to look at when the tension mounts, when the sad feelings are intense, even though you're doing these things, what can you do? Can you journal? Can you write music? Can you do art? Can you go for a, a more uh, expressive workout that really pounds out some of the tension? Can you um, talk to mom? Can you come sit on the couch with mom and, and just talk about what's stressing you out and worrying you with friends um, or whatever it is? We do general strategies to help lower frustration and anxiety. We help kids identify what helps them or what leads them to feeling that way. We help them identify when they're feeling that way and what will help based on how you know your uh, child. And so we were doing general things to reduce the overall temperature of discomfort. And then if it mounts anyway, you want to have a list of things that kids can do that, that help them cope. Um, the other dynamic that I did forget to mention, which is important too, is, is for some kids, whether there's a sexual abuse history or for some kids in the gender community, some kids with eating uh, related issues, or overeating or undereating, there can also be an element in this of self-punishment where unfortunately, and it's sad, it's hard to imagine, but the thinking is I hurt my body because I deserve it. My body deserves it. My body fails me. My body causes problems for me. My body isn't what it's supposed to be. And this and and that can be a more anger and sadness based decision making pattern. And so there's therapeutic work that can support that. How do we help a young child feel more secure in their worth? How do we help them recognize that 
that certain things aren't their faults, their body's not doing this on purpose, their body had nothing to do with harm that has happened to them, um, that if they're in a gender expansive body, they can care for that body in the meantime while they're being supported. So that would be a fourth element. The There's the mounting anxiety, um, there is the distance and proof that you're alive. There's the outside that matches the inside discomfort. And then there is the punishing factor. And counseling and therapy can help with all, with all of those. Help identify how kids are thinking about themselves, how they can identify when they're uncomfortable, and what they need to do instead of taking steps that will um, harm their bodies. It's always important to be connecting with a counselor for some kids. There are suicidal thoughts associated with cutting behaviors that should certainly be assessed with somebody who knows and find out is the child also thinking about suicide. Safety plans need to be put in place. So this is a brief introduction. It's a complicated issue. There are a variety of reasons why young people may um, hurt their bodies as a coping strategy. And the good news is, with assessment and care, it's possible. I've seen lots of kids stop completely, um, learn alternative coping strategies, change how they feel about themselves, change the complicated nature of their relationship with their body, learn to do other things when stress happens. Life is going to be full of sadness, stress, disappointment, rejection, jealousy, isolation. It's it's a part of the human experience. And so we want our kids to identify when they're not feeling good and have a need and have a couple of coping strategies that they can do that are healthy, that will push through some of this discomfort. So reach out. So I say this to say, if you are aware that your child is engaging in this behavior without panicking, because sometimes then we spin, it's, it's time to seek help. And find a thought partner who's qualified to help figure out what are the triggers, um, what purpose is the self-harm serving, and how do we support our kids without shame and blame and fear in developing healthier coping strategies, um, a healthier relationship with their bodies, and a belief in their self-worth while helping them decrease anxiety and stress and, and handle the things that life's going to toss at them. Uh, we'd love to protect them from all of it. We'd love to tell them that there are ways that they can live that won't include sadness, stress, uh, rejection, and isolation, but that's not real life. So we want them to be able to recognize when they have a need, communicate it, and or um, take healthy steps to cope with it. So I hope this is a helpful overview. Um, and I recognize I'm, you know, as parents, it's 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 a tempting thing to to hope it just goes away or to assume that's never anything your child would do, but it doesn't hurt to to get clarity and make sure that your child has healthy coping strategies as they age. All right, thanks for joining me this week. Take care. Oh, I'm going to include in the show notes. There's a safe. A Calm Harm, Calm Harm, C-A-L-M, Calm Harm app, which I've had a couple of teenagers really feel was helpful when they were, tracks their moods and their coping strategies. So yeah, reach out, share this with other parents, school counselors and things, because I know that it's, that it's an area that folks feel really um, anxious about themselves as parents and providers. So hopefully this will offer um, some ideas and strategies. Thanks so much. 
take care. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.